encourage you to do that. If you don't have a Bible, invite you to take one of the black Bibles, page 977. Page 977 is where we're going to be. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to read there, read this passage in just a minute. This is something I got last year. Everybody gets that. They say walk, run, stumble through what's called the sprint and 10 miles. You attain to a medal. In that case, I was wanting to attain in accomplishing and finishing that race. What is it that you want to attain? For some people, it's attaining the loss of a certain amount of pounds or to have a certain figure. Maybe you're wanting to attain a graduate degree. You just want to get through high school or you want to get a college degree or something even farther down the road than that. Maybe you want to attain the accomplishment of reading a book this year and finishing it. Maybe if you want to attain, you might not save it, a number of likes on your Facebook account or your Facebook posts or your Instagram likes. Maybe for you it's a certain amount of money that you want to receive so that you can retire with a certain comfort. Maybe it's a certain amount of money that you need in order to accomplish a certain task in your to pay off a loan. Maybe you want to attain to job satisfaction. I want to like my job. Or the education for your kids. Or some pleasure or comfort. Maybe that's cabin up north. Maybe it's an attainment of something in your marriage. Or parenting in general. Maybe it's that new vehicle. According to the authoritative source of the internet, not Wikipedia, the number, the 10 most uh, or most common goals for Americans in this last year were the following. Here's a list from 10 to 1. 10, manage my time better. 9, start an exercise routine. That was my, that's what I wanted to attain to. Number 7, improve physical and mental health. 6, travel. Purchase a new home. Two, get a job you enjoy with more income. And number one, lose weight. Attainment. This morning, I am challenging you, and I believe God's word challenges you, to job, a job that each of you are called to attain to something together that is far more glorious that I've already listed. There are stupid things to attain to and there are glorious things to attain to and there is nothing more big and more beautiful than what we are called to reach after in order to attain this morning in this passage. I want to bring a word to you if you're sitting in this room and you are not yet relationship with with God that you absolutely need and if you are not saved or if you've not been born anew, you are not in a good relationship with him even if you think you are. He is not happy with you in any way, the Bible says and though that is not a popular thing in our culture, it is absolutely true and if you were to die today you would face 
severe judgment. But the good news of Jesus Christ is the offer that you can be attained by God's free gift and mercy, eternal life and forgiveness of your sins, taking away the shame problem because Jesus Christ died on the cross, he rose again, and he, he gives mercy and grace, eternal life and an inheritance that begins now for all who put their trust in him. shapes your identity and your passions and your agenda and your spending and your love and your parenting and your marriage and the way you envision holidays and the way you envision your relationships with others. Because you see, you are bought with a price and you're now put into a bunch of others coming together called the body of Christ, the church. We are inviting you to faith that I did not mean on a, a building on Silver Lake Road. We could be doing this anywhere. We could be doing this at the high school. We could be doing this at a park. We could be doing it another place. It, the Faith Church of Linden is the gathered saints of the church gathering together wherever it might be. And over the summer, I'm preaching a series of sermons on the church I'm just the pastor of the church and I hopefully like the job that I have and you'll kind of come around because then I'll feel good about you if you have attendance and your giving is better and your participation is higher I, I really hope and that would be a lousy motivation for me to do that I am called to the job of equipping you to do and to accomplish something so wonderful and so beautiful and of what you were called to do what this world outside of this the room the room this building that's not the church you're the church they so desperately need a type of attainment that we are to go after and so I'm preaching a sermon series on the covenant that we have the church covenant you some of you are starting to learn what that is if you've been here in these services and so I'm in a paragraph in the middle of the covenant that I want to share with you I'm going to preach on this passage that I started last week covenant says, and it's in your bulletin, I have a copy here too in the back page, it's on the notes section, it says we will purpose, and that's the membership of the church, if you're not a member we want you to become a member and commit to the church here, we will purpose to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness and love, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to attend its services regularly, to sustain its worship, its orderly worship, which we're going to take in just a few minutes, its discipline, which on the 29th, we may have to bring somebody up and say, would you pray for this person's soul? Can you, will you reach out to this person? He is wandering from the faith, discipline, and doctrine. In fact, if I, the pastor, teach something contrary to our doctrine today, and more, more importantly, doctrine, contrary to this scripture, you as the members have a responsibility to step up to the plate and graciously talk to me. But if, if I continue to pattern of teaching something contrary to the scripture, it's your job to remove me. We are to build, we will repurpose to build this sacred preeminence over all its people. Of human origin, because we as a church are, it's not of human origin, it is an origin from God. Now, encourage you to come Wednesday, because on Wednesday we're going to talk more about that covenantal statement. I want to explain it more to you. That's not the purpose, and that's not where I'm going to primarily go, go right now. Would you look with me in page 977 of your Bible, or Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7, and then 11 through 16. I'm going to read what I read last week. Would you read, would you listen to me as though you're reading it to your job description? But grace was given to each one of us. I think that's you and me if you're a Christian. 
grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's again in verse 11. And he gave the apostles and the prophets. They wrote the Bible. The evangelists, they're those that went from city to city sharing the gospel. People were saved and churches were formed. The shepherds and teachers. That word shepherd means pastors and teachers. Verse 12. These pastors and shepherds were given to the church. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. The saints aren't just holy people that are have done miracles or have been held to a high heaven pedestal. Paul makes it very clear in chapter 1. These are every believer in Christ are a saint to equip all of us who have been given each one of us grace for the work of ministry. That means you and me. That means all of us who have a real ministry to do. A real ministry to share with the local church. Now, now we're going to get into this. What is this work of church for? For the building up of the body of Christ. We're to build up the body of Christ. If you've been reading Ephesians, you'll know that the body of Christ is the church. Verse 13. Until we all, there's the word now, attain. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, head of the body. That's Christ. From whom the whole body, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, who equips it? The, the elders, the pastors, the priests, the shepherds, teachers, they equip it, but it's the head giving it when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, there's Paul was really good at this. And at times it's really tricky and at times it's really helpful depending on your personality. There's a lot of prop, uh, propositions here. Paul would write that way. He packed a sentence tightly. Do you see that? He says, you church, you've been given gifts. See that the gifts are, are men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And then they were given gifts to the church in order to equip all of the saints who have been, grace has been given to each one of us. Why? So they will be equipped. And to be equipped, what's for? To equip means to prepare somebody. Have you been equipped for a job? You start a job and they start training you and they tell you, this is how you do this and this is how you need to do this. This is how you fix the back up. This is how you close up and this is how you start. This is what you got to make sure you do and you need to do this. And this is how you need to treat your customers. And this is how, and this is why we do this. Well, the saints, the Christians are to be equipped by the shepherd teachers. Now, how do the shepherd teachers primarily equip? Well, by their name, shepherd means one that feeds the sheep cares for it, watches over the sheep. And what does a teacher do? They teach the word of God. So primarily through the preaching, so this Sunday morning is equipping time. Sunday school, the hour before the service, is equipping time. Wednesday night can be equipping time. Bible study will be equipping time in order for us, for you and I, to do our job. And last week I said, here's what I'm, I'm just going to say them, and then we're gonna, I'm going to get to practical first. I want to get to practical first, so what do we have to attain to, and why do we, how do we attain to it? So, last week I said, church, you've been given grace, you've been given gifts. What are you doing with them? If, if you've been given God's grace for a particular reason, 
that he would write to the married couple that gets too many wedding gifts that they don't want all the flowers and presents and everything, and they can feel desperate and feel abandoned and scared. Is that how you treat the gift of God that he's given you? Or are you like, like I shared last week, that giddy kid, 12-year-old, who God gives Nintendo, and he can't wait to play it, and he's going to use it, and with great delight, he uses that for what it was for. You've been given gifts. And secondly, you've been given a job to use those gifts for. The job is to do the work of the ministry. I want to talk about what that means in a minute. You're called to be equipped to do the work of service. My job and the elders or pastors are called to equip and prepare you primarily through the teaching of the word of God so that the gospel grips you and, and changes you. And that means you need to prioritize that. Thirdly, you've been given a gift to build up the church, and I want to talk about what that really means in building up the church, or what I started the sermon with saying, you need to attain to something. Now, Paul says it with many sentences, and he builds upon his statement. So would you look with me at verse 13? Look at verse 13 once again. He says, for the building up of the body, how am I please pay attention to this? This is not Pastor Daniel's job description. It's your job description. It, I, I'm called, calling you. I need to equip you, and you need to do this. And I need to help you do this. And I need to do it with you, because I'm also a saint. I'm also part of the body of Christ. And Paul, we're not done with our job yet. We can never put a sign across the windows of the front door and say, Mission accomplished. Until we all have attained to the unity of the faith and, and really literally and to unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Until we are mat- we attain to be a mature man. That's metaphorically speaking. We are we are mature people, one people. And Till we attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God is in the process of making us all together into his right Jesus Christ. How are we doing looking like Jesus in the future? And verse 14. Then Paul, Paul's real realistic. He says, by the way, you'll all start out very immature. Not one believer starts out mature. He starts out immature. Just like every human being starts out as an infant and then turns into a little child, toddler, and then moves to childhood, moves from childhood to adolescence. So Christians start as little children. In verse 14, he says, so that you'll no longer be children. That's a plural, many children. Instead, you're supposed to be one manhood because you're to be united. So you're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine. Paul knows that there are already has happened in the church, and it will happen that people will influence Christians to go off on different tangents. It could be the latest self-help book, and it could be a cult. It could be what you watch on TV during those religious channels, or it could be something on Fox News or CNN, or it could be on something that you see in some multi-level marketing or some diet, or it could be some other thing. All of those might not be bad in and of itself, but Paul says, without maturity, we could, be, we could just drift off into the culture of our day. It could be the materialism that says, what you need is this comfortable retirement in this state, or what you need is a cabin up north, or what you need is this type of luxury, or this type of vacation, or you're not going to be fulfilled. And the gospel says, no, I don't need any of those things for fulfillment, because I have, I have been attaining, verse 12, and 13 I mean, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. All of us as a church, we start to grow to go, the knowledge of the Son of God, Jesus, everything. He is my Savior, and He is my Lord, my forgiver. He helps me every day. I get to get up every day, and He will never leave me or forsake me. And I need to remind my brother across the street or in my directory. I'm going to send him a note saying, I'm praying for you. Trust in Jesus today. He is good. Don't give in to the pressure at work that can pull you away. Or just blame and discourage you. 
join us this Wednesday night as we come and we pray for the others. For, for those that are at the TLC, all our teens, we're going to pray for them this Wednesday night. We encourage one another. Challenge that youth. Get an entertainment that encourages you, that feeds you. And I, I just wrote down just several points here. Like, we're to be united versus divided. We're to reject individualism. Though the individual will matter, but individualism is just all the glue that matters. And so I need to make decisions what's best for me. No, not if you're a member of the body of Christ. We are to attain to the unity of the faith that the beginning of this chapter says we already have. We have a unity. We're one. Now attain to that oneness. There is an already but not yet coming. Freedom expression of the body this attaining means that God is saying to this church as we build up in town, we are not to only unite. This is not to be a seminary church where we just learn a bunch of facts and we sit there and we never help each other out. That's a Baptist church. We could have the best theology. We could know all the answers and give us the text to answer all the doctrinal questions about the Trinity or about Jesus or about the last times or about the doctrine of the Bible, or answers about the existence of God, and if we don't love one another, and if we don't love the world, well, what good are we? For practical implementation. So we are to be, we are to grow in knowledge of God. Knowledge is really important. Knowledge is not easy. But knowledge is an experiential knowledge of knowing and loving God. Is to lead us to a, a, be on fire towards loving God. That's why we should care, prepare our minds and our hearts for the sermon. Because no matter what, it's the word of God's truth that should be enough to warm our hearts if our hearts are prepared and our preachers are ready to preach. Peter wrote to the church and said, come let us learn the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is something about us that we need to ever grow in our unity of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, he also says in this building up of the church, there's truth there. Instead of listening to human cunning or false teachers that seem, there are churches in America that are filling their, their big auditoriums. And they're not preaching the whole truth, but they're preaching what Paul would call human cunning and appealing to the very nature in which we all need to be saved from and where people are coming and they're feeling this hurt. But they are not transformed by the grace filled gospel that says we are a broken people and we need the saving grace of Christ. Really what Paul is saying here, church, we need to attain to something big. And if we're to be mature, we're to be mature, not unstable. We are not no longer to be like that child that just gets fluttered from back and forth. We are not to be like a boat that was in a, in a wavy sea with no ballast and is just being tossed with every wave, but is anchored solidly in the truth and marching on. We are to be like Jesus Christ, loving one another. How true is this for us? This is for every if you're a member, for you as a member committed to this church, if it's you as a Christian and you're not a member of the church, you should be a member of the church you attend. If you're visiting or somewhere else, if it's this and you are to say, I have a responsibility that this body would attain to this. Now, each in their part, I'm not responsible to do everything, but I'm responsible to be part of this. To do the work of service for the building up of the body. That's my job. That's what I'm called to. I need to be equipped, and I'm called to do this for the building up of the body. There is nothing more practical, life-changing for our community, and for this body, and for us together. I cannot adequately shepherd you in your homes, or in your hospital beds, or in your struggles, or addictions, or massive counseling issues, like you actually can to each other. That's God's intention. There's going to be times where you go to the pastor who needs, you need help. But no church can sustain it and grow and really be able to serve the body because you are meant to do this job. 
each one of you were given grace in order to love one another. So I want to I want to make this practical because you might say, how do I do this practically? Does that mean that we have a list of jobs to do the work of service here at the church and that we can have a sign up and like there's a rush for the job, a job rush or a job fair. And we're going to go out there and clean the bathrooms and do the sound and be at the worship team and, and fill Sunday school and fill nursery and, and do these things. Okay, it might be part of that. Okay, you feel there's need like, hey, there's a need for sound equipment. We probably need about a thousand or two thousand, probably two to three thousand more fixer sound equipment. That, that's part of meeting those needs. That's a blessing. That's not what I'm primarily talking about. Because you don't have to have any heart for God to get a really great sermon. I'm talking about something that requires a really big heart to help people. Here, I just want to give you four practical suggestions. I, I spent time praying and thinking through. I talked to several of you about this. And, and so I came up with four. I, I wrote them, and they're not good because I wrote them. They're good because they're just really, they're really practical. So each one of you, if you're a Christian, and you're not, Paul would probably talk with you after that message and you say, God, God bring me, he does call me to that. Here's four things, four ways this week. This is your, this is your homework. This is your, this is your job. We're going to discuss it on Wednesday. First of all, take responsibility to grow spiritually. Will you, will you take responsibility for you to grow spiritually?
read the Bible that way. Read the Bible looking to what God is, how God is revealed, what kind of gracious God, what kind of holy God, the kind of God who can work. Look to the God of the Bible. Read the Bible that way. The first point is this. Take responsibility for your actions. Will you do this Continue to do the very obedient job. Yeah, I don't know how to do that, Pastor. Will you help me? Will someone help me? We'll try to help you do that. That's part of Christian ministry. It's when you do that, it, then you're going to start to be able to help one another do the work that you're being called to do. Would you view these services, Sunday morning, Sunday school, this worship, and Wednesday night, and other things that we have, as a way in which you get equipped to grow spiritually to explain the gospel, share the gospel? Do you know how to give a love and wise, loving and wise defense of the gospel if someone hurts you? Do you know the gospel enough to actually apply it in your own life and live a life that puts hurt in your life? Do you not have some auto rifles? Do you need to go out and take that directive? Take charge of that. Start with your Bible in your directory. Pray through your church and read your Bible and say, God, would you open my eyes to see something that I haven't seen about you because I need to walk in that today. So take responsibility. So first is, it's, it's kind of like you're on an airplane. They say that if something's happening and you're losing oxygen, you have a kid next to you, grab that mask, put it on you first before you put it on your son because as you're trying to put it on your son, you might pass out. Put it on yourself, then you can help him. Walk with God first, being number one. Number two Reach out for help and look to have help. Would you, would you actually feel that as you do do that? Just take, take in one particular way, would you in one particular way just take that simple advice, reach out for help and look to help others. I have, I have a really helpful book that I came across. I'd never read it. A friend of mine told me about it. It's, it's called Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom, and love, and the, in the beginning it says this, this book identifies the skills we need to help one another. You want to help someone in this church? I hope you do. It is for everyone. It's for friends and parents, even neighbors, not only pastors. It's for everyone. Although the way we will find that God is pleased to use ordinary people, ordinary conversations, and extraordinary and wise love to do most of the heavy lifting in this ministry. The basic idea is that those who help best are actually the ones who need help in giving. A healthy community in a church is dependent on us being both. Us needing help and receiving help. And we should not be ashamed of that. So this book is divided into two parts. The first side does some sharing your burden. The second part is some bearing the burden of others. If any of you want to buy this book, let me know and I'll order it for you. But I want to give one out to you. And I wrote this in this book. I, I want to give one to somebody that hasn't got a book yet on, on a Sunday morning. Your friends. So this is going to go to one of you this morning. And this is what I wrote to you. You have been given this book by your church because we're counting on you to help us grow together in wisdom and love. With the Spirit's help, Will you read this book in order to better obey God's word in building up the body of Christ by walking side by side in practical ways with your fellow brothers and sisters who are serving? May God richly bless you and help as you grow. That's kind of broad. Are you, can you read the first portion of the Bible, Jason? Here's my, here's my main point. This point number two. with anxiety this week what whatever it is anxiety about finances what you could do is this week reach out to one friend in this church and say John I'm really struggling with being anxious and you pray for them and then if you want to take it a step further a good thought process is to go you, you might already know what you need in one sense you need God to help you have a so John, will you, will you pray that I will trust God to make wise decisions? 
Now, do you think John will get that text and go, that was dumb, he's so weak. He's so weak, I'm going to mock him. I, I hope John, whoever that John is, maybe it's John, would, would say, listen, I was mad at him. Here's, here's something that God encouraged me with that I carried into that. And John texts that man and goes, how's that going? That's been two days. What if, what if this week you reached out because you're just so overwhelmed because you have this project and you can't get it done and you need somebody just to come over to this kitchen? You're asking for help. That's part of leadership. You're, you're good for your duties, but isn't that the pay of all? Isn't that how we get to know and help one another? And reach out for help. Look around you and ask for help. Offer help. Text each other. There's just... There's a lot to say here. I do want to say this. You have it in your notes. It's, it's about having a discipleship mindset. It's about saying, I'm going to, being a disciple, discipler, you know, discipleship means you're a follower of Jesus and you're called to follow him. That's what discipleship means. Discipling is something, there's a subcategory of that. Every one of us are called to be discipling of one another. Not just the formal, he's my mentor, she's my mentor. I'm his mentor. But if you define it this way, and I like how Mark Dever does, discipling is helping someone follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in his or her life group. Okay? Can you handle that? This week, for each of you, try to think, how can I help someone in this church follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good for him or her. Could be through a joke, a phone call, stopping by with, it could be right after service, carrying the groceries to somebody you don't know, smile and talk to them and actually care to know who they are and know if they have any interest in social interaction. And then following up by praying for them and checking in with them. someone follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good for them or her. Isn't that what Paul said to the Indians that kept on walking in the heart of the earth? Properly Christian builds itself up itself. So lastly, number three. This is just, this is kind of like implication of all this. When you make decisions knowing that they affect the whole body, what you're united to, do you know the decisions you made if you're a part of the church, you're part of the body, Using that metaphor impacts everything. My leg could never say, I'm going to take this Sunday off if the rest of you go to church. It all goes together. It all affects everything. Do you know the decisions that you make, whether you come to church or not, whether you come Wednesday or not, whether you give or not, whether you, you, whether you help and look for help, whether you grow spiritually. If you are spiritually weak, you are actually hurting your brother and sister. Just like husbands, if you do not care about your walk with God, one of the people, many of the people you're hurting is your wife, and if you have children, your children are hurting you. Your devotional life is very important to them. All our decisions that we make affect one another. This is, this is too weighty for us to handle apart from the grace of God we face. So give me a chance to help you through it, and you're going to stumble, but I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to grow in you. The decisions we make just like the decisions of a husband affect the whole family, even the husband's affecting the whole family because he's always gone, still affects them. The last thing that I just want to share with you is that with the word of realization, then we'll go to communion. When you remember your call to serve sinners as a Christian and the power of your Savior who has saved you, to one another. I'm calling you to this week call out to people for help and to give help. I'm calling you to think about your decisions and how it impacts everybody, to grow spiritually. But when you start doing that, people are going to start disappointing you. It's messy to do the work of the ministry. Honesty is the 
going to require honesty and vulnerability and admitting that you have problems or weeds. And you're going to get burned by some people. They're not going to understand you, and they're going to look down their noses at you. They really might do that. When you do this, you're exposing yourself to get rejected. And you're, you're going to have to deal with people's addictions and broken past, and you're going to go, oh, I don't want to deal with that, but it reminds me of mom. in this room because they are lovely, lovely or lovable. Love them because God loved you when you weren't lovable. And he called you to be used by him to make others more like him. Now you can do it. You can only do them through Christ. I want to end with this. I, I've shared this illustration before. I want to finish with it. It's good. It's helpful. Pastor Frank once shared a story of, of how he was studying in England and finishing his, doc, his doctorate, and he was, he was a member of a local church in, in the city that he was. And he would look around every time he worshipped, and he'd look at the corner of his eye, and he, he had built a friendship with this guy named, let's just pick on John again, his name was John. And John came in, and John would slip in at the time of the sermon. He'd listen to the sermon, probably take notes, and at the end of the sermon, he'd slip out during the rest of the songs and the prayer time. One time he asked John, he said, John, how are you today?
We are one body and we take up the same loaf. We are of the same people. And that loaf is Christ. Christ in his body. And we are made in, he makes us into him. And it's this meal that symbolizes what he did for us by dying on the cross, shedding his blood for us. The grape juice that we take or wine it symbolizes his blood shed for us and his covenant and promise. He says, I'm never leaving. I forgive you of all your sins and I'm going to keep you. His, this bread is symbolizes his body literally and properly broken for us. But in another way, he told us he's the living bread. He's the true life. And so you take of this meal, it means a lot of things to you. And I pray that today we would focus on the fact that what he did for me on the cross was the death for me that I'm simply to make him the living bread. That through people who call me church, I have a responsibility to one another to what he did for me, I love that. And I love him called the followers of Jesus. Would you would you take the application of what I shared, whether it be to grow spiritually, whether to reach out for help or to help one another or both, and make decisions that that have knowing that it has effect on each other and to serve one another, knowing there's going to be messy, but that you're a safe place. Would you ponder those things and say, God, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me as I ponder you with this meal? I'm going to worship you by doing that single or big word. Listen, if you are, you don't have to be offended. Just say, I forgive you and say in the back, Different, different times that we will do this presentation. And in just a minute, we're actually going to, we're going to play a song and we're actually going to sing. We're going to sing and you can sing if you want because you'll actually make your way down the two aisles and come and take bread from one of the deacons and come grab one of these cups. There's ways to pray as we lead through that. But uh, I encourage you to have that. And, and then you just go to your seat. You'll take one of these and then at the end, I'll lead you in prayer. And just in this time of music, just say, God, thank you. Just Take of it this time, but I'd love to talk with you at any time if you would love to say what Jesus has done for you. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he said he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood for the covenant. I give it to you. Give it to one another. And this is what this is what we were this was gleaned at
Not, not that you're big. I'm just saying that. Um, um, over the last several years, at least from my experience, and I've been getting one way longer than that, the groups of teens have come back really having their hearts and their lives really changed for the Savior that have had a long and profound impact way beyond just the week that was there. But we don't see Jesus. set out to obey this message and follow Christ and, and each of us doing our part of the work of service and the work of ministry. May, may God empower us for that. With Psalm 90, 16 through 17, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Take a moment now in prayer and reflection and ask God that he would empower us and establish the work of our hands. And when you hear the music, you can be seated. 